You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I'm your co-host, Brandon Ware, here with my lovely other half, Dr. Jess. Hey, hey, how's it going? Very good. How are you? Feeling good today. I like the sound of your voice in my headphones. It's even hotter than just in the general atmosphere. Just in general? That's yeah. nice. Thank I you. I like it. <laughs> Lots going on today. We're going to be talking with another sexologist, sex educator, sex influencer, and new podcast host, Sex with Ashley. And I'm a big fan of, of her TikToks and Instagrams. You're going to want to check those out. Yeah, I'm very excited to hear what she has to say about her upcoming podcast. Before we invite Ashley to join us, I want to answer a few questions. I know we have so many questions coming in from the podcast, and I'm not good at keeping up with them, and I'm working on it. But uh, this first one is, Dear Dr. Jess, please, I need to know if you can give me... Oh, this person wants to pay me, but you don't have to pay me for this answer, all right? I want to formally know if all men like to receive fellatio, or is it more of a personal preference? And then it says, I'll pay for such service. And I think they mean the answer, not the fellatio. So um, I think that it's different for everyone. I think most penises enjoy a good suck. I would have to concur or some form of touching. Yeah, generally. But I mean, everybody is different. So I just want you to know that if you don't enjoy it, that's perfectly fine. And if you've got a penis or a dixical in your life, I just really like that word. That's the best word. <laughs> I know it is the best I word. I love that. If you have a penis in your life that doesn't really like being sucked, that's also okay. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing it wrong. It doesn't mean that they can't enjoy other types of pleasure. So I want to be really clear that whatever you experience is perfectly valid. Now, if you don't, um, if there's certain types of sexual pleasure that you associate with distress, that might be something worth exploring. But generally speaking, everyone's different. So we'll, we'll leave it at that. And you don't have to pay for it. All right. I have some more questions here. This person says, hello, I have a shy wife who doesn't scream or moan during sex. I really need her to moan for me. How do I achieve this? Well, I think there's some layers here that I'd, I'd want to explore. Um, so some people stifle their sounds because, I don't know, we don't feel comfortable letting them out or we feel self-conscious um, and we really are shy. Um, sometimes we hold our breath because we're nervous. Sometimes it's a matter of not wanting, you know, the neighbors or the kids to hear. And if that's the case, I always find that turning on music, that sort of sensory overload of the same sense, the auditory sense, can help to assuage some of those concerns and help you to lower your inhibitions. Um, the other pieces, you can't really make her moan, but you could make noise. So if you make more noise, if you breathe more deeply, if you are effusive in your expressions of pleasure, a partner, and again, this is regardless of gender, I don't know the gender of this person, a, a, a partner is going to be more inclined to do so if they see that you're comfortable doing the same. And then, and I do want to bring up, have you talked to your partner about your desires? Have you talked to your partner about their desires, about what feels good for them? Uh, I'm not suggesting that what you're doing doesn't feel good for them, but this sounds like something, um, you know, that is a conversation for the two of you, as opposed to my having the capacity to give you a solution that will work. So if you can talk about like what you like to hear and why you like to hear it and also ask what she wants. So I, I posted on my Instagram the other day this three-part 
approach to talking about difficult subjects or asking for something when it comes to sex. And I divided into these three sections of starting with the positive, making an inquiry or an offer, and then making your specific request. So highlighting the positive would be like, oh, I love when I hear the sound of you in my ear. It just really turns me on. And when you start with the positive, you're laying the groundwork for a conversation as opposed to a criticism. And then you can make an inquiry or an offer like, well, what are you into? Or what can I do for you? Or do you wish that, you know, is there anything that you'd like to explore? And then you make your specific request and you don't frame it as a complaint, but you frame it as a request, which is, you know, I would love if, you know, tomorrow when we're doing this that or when we're having sex or when I'm going down on you or when we're making out, if you would just like let your sounds flow freely. Um, I do worry a little bit about, you know, the language of like making her moan for me. Um, You know, you are framing it as solely about you. So I would also just encourage you to make sure that you're putting a focus on her needs. I'm just sitting here laughing in, in my own head because you say things so much more eloquently and academically than I do. I was going to say <laughs> lead by behavior, like model that behavior that you want, meaning make noise, but I was going to say moan like a cow. Moan or, like or, a cow? Yeah, or whatever works for you. I would you. say however you put it is better than how I yeah, put it. I'm too the, verbose. And, but then I love also the idea of like, why are why do you want that? Do you want it because it's self-validating? Is it because you need it? Or is it because it it's what your partner, you think they want. Um, and then also, if you note that your partner is perhaps a little shy or uncomfortable or, you know, there's too many other possible distractions, um, what can you do to help them get into the mindset where they are comfortable doing that? Like, can you uh, more foreplay, more touching, more what they want so that they do get, you know, they, they, they express themselves? I love it. Yeah, that that's such an important piece of the why. Like, why is this so important to you? And I think then that brings me to another piece that I missed, which is the reminder that porn becomes our model for sex education and the absence of comprehensive sex education that actually depicts and discusses pleasure. And in porn, it's just wild you know, you know, cow sounds, cow sounds, sounds. I say chimpanzee sounds, but you're right. It's both. (laughs) Jungly farm out there. Is that a good move? It's super hot. (laughs) I don't think so. I don't know what that is. I think that's a cow. Okay, sure. I once saw a cow in a video, so I know what a cow sounds like. (laughs) So much of a city City slicker. slicker. (laughs) I am. (laughs) Uh, So do wishing you luck with this, um, wishing you the best. um, And, you know, asking you to sit with your part in this and what it is you need and why as well. So thank you for continuing to send us your questions. Please keep them coming and we'll do our best to weigh in on all of them. Not that we have all the answers, but we're happy to share our thoughts and insights. And that is all the time we have for questions today because it's time to get to Ho and Tell with our guest. Joining us today is sex blogger and sex influencer from Sex with Ashley, Ashley herself. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. What's on your sex radar today? What's showing up in, in your stories, in your TikTok? Um, I, I'm, I'm doing Taboo Tuesday because it's Tuesday. So every Tuesday on, on my social media, we have a taboo topic. And today we're talking about should you use lube or not? Oh, is that a taboo topic? It is because a lot of people assume that you should not be using lube or if you use lube that something's wrong with you and that is not true. Exactly. Lube is like, it's the answer. If you could spend any money on sex, I'd say lube. Like like toys are amazing. All the different props are amazing. But lube, lube, lube. 
And I get a lot of questions like, well, I don't really need lube because I'm naturally wet. I'm like, okay, that's great, but (laughs) you still need to use lube. Yeah, and your hands aren't naturally wet. And hopefully you're using your hands too, unless you're really sweaty. Yeah, and and even, even if you're naturally wet, even with like the friction that happens during penetrative sex, you're going, that evaporates and it's going to, you know, not, you're not going to be as wet as the, during the whole session. So you need to add lube that way you can still be nice and moisturized down there. I like it. So that's your taboo to- topic. And you're also, um, you're really busy on TikTok. You're a really avid TikTok user. I'm, I'm curious why TikTok is such a good platform for sex ed. Um, so I use TikTok mainly um, just to create videos to bring to Instagram. Um, the, the videos that I do put on Instagram, they are on TikTok and I get likes, but I'm not really focused about TikTok because this is what I found too. With TikTok, a lot of like the adult sexual content, like I have a couple of videos that got blocked because I've said the word sex or I know one I had one with a, with a, a vibrator. And so they have this community guidelines and stuff. Because um, I think originally TikTok is just for originally supposed to be like songs and dancing and all that stuff. So I use it just to create more engaging content for Instagram. That's really my main purpose to use TikTok. I'm not trying to be TikTok famous or anything like that. <laughs> but but you're getting there by accident. I mean, you got to take yeah, it if by, they're going to give it to you. Yeah, by accident. Yeah, I think I have, um, I don't know, I think I have 113,000 followers or likes, something like that. I don't know. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I've seen some of your videos. So tell me, though, about social media. Why uh, is social media generally a good po- platform for sex ed? Because I think a lot of people, if we go back to traditional views on learning, it's like it has to be academic. It has to be in a, in a classroom. It needs to be kind of shared by the gatekeepers of, of education and knowledge. But that's all changing. People are consuming good content yeah. from from Instagram, from Facebook, from TikTok. So, and you're a part of that. Like I'm, I'm looking at your, your content, you pump out content constantly. <laughs> there are like, and I like that you mix the professional with the personal, what you're thinking, what you're feeling, um, studies you're coming across, stories you're coming across. So why social media? Um, because a lot of people use social media, you know, um, from young children to like middle school all the way to my mother. Like my mother is on Facebook and all her little friends and my mother's 60. So there's people from generations that use social media and everybody doesn't, you know, I know this is probably, I shouldn't probably say this out loud, but like, I don't watch the news <laughs> or I don't No, <laughs> I probably just said it out loud. Um, cause I don't have cable at my house. So I have just like Netflix and Amazon prime. So if it's not on one of those two channels, I'm probably not going to see it. So anything that related to like current news topics, anything that I need to know, I go to Twitter or I go to like Instagram and, you know, Facebook sometimes too. And that's kind of where I get my information on what's happening in the world. I'm not sure if that's a a good thing or not, (laughs) but that's where I get my information. And a lot of people are the same way. So a lot of people, you know, may not know about the different advances in sex or like the different um studies about why you should shouldn't be doing this or why you should be doing that or different sex toys some people get all of their information on social media so social absolutely media is a good way to you know to to to, to educate people 
Absolutely. I mean, when I saw that Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed, it wasn't because I was on the news sites. It's because it popped up on my social media feed. Yeah. Probably three minutes before it even hit the the main news sites. And so it makes sense. And the, the other piece is that it becomes accessible and you can produce content that you believe in. Whereas if you were trying to do that on a on a TV network, it has to align with what the advertisers want. Like I remember right. back in high school learning about the filters of the media and the big issue being that it is entirely driven by profit. And so they won't speak out against or they won't do anything that's going to upset the advertisers. We're seeing this with COVID, right? We've been talking a lot about how nobody is really talking about the risk that airlines are putting us in. Like up here in uh-huh. Canada, we, we have one major airline, Air Canada. And I mean, I fly them all the time, or I used to. <laughs> but, um, you know, they're selling every single seat in their plane. And we're seeing dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of flights come in with COVID cases. And they're not required to report it. And the media is not running it as headline news because Air Canada is too big of a media buyer. They're too big of an advertising spend budget that could be lost so whereas on instagram yeah okay sometimes you have sponsored posts but you're not just doing sponsored posts you're doing content that's of value and that you believe in and i saw this article i think it was on twitter or something um where this person had wrote about how the airlines over here in america are putting us at risk and then i i know people who who are still flying and they'll show, share like pictures on their social media of like, oh yeah, we're definitely not social distancing because there's somebody to my left and to my right. So that is, you know, that is a good thing. And that's why like um, podcasts and stuff like that are also good outlets because it's not censored. You can pretty much say what you want and learn information that's not censored by the government or censored by the powers that be. Exactly. Well, speaking of podcasts, you have a new podcast launching, Ho and Tell. Yes. Um, I need to know all about this concept. These are anonymous stories, but tell us more. So Home and Tell is um, a podcast that I thought about doing. Um, it's anonymous sex stories. So everybody calls in um, and I don't know who they are. Some people I do know because they hit me up. So like I know who, <laughs> who they are. But for the most part, I don't know who they are because you have to go to like a link to schedule and you kind of give me like a brief uh, synopsis of what your story is going to be about. And then you call me over Zoom. There's no video. Um, and then we talk about your story. So in production, post-production, the voices of each caller is, you know, changed. The pitches are changed and distorted, disguised. So that way people won't be like, oh, I think I know that voice. That's Tammy. Um, so <laughs> all the voices are changed. <laughs> Uh, because people are nosy and we've had some really good stories. I have a story about a man who was cheating on his wife. Um, so like stuff like that, we have to keep under wraps. One story I did yesterday about this lady who lost her virginity to a threesome. Like she lost her virginity to a whole threesome. And she's like, no one knows this, but you and my therapist. And I'm like, okay, sh- sh- great. Um, so we have some very interesting stories. Um, one person, uh, they like older women and by older I mean like 59 60 plus women and they are in their 30s and this and they started doing this probably when they were in their 20s um so it's some very interesting sex stories I love it and I like the concept of creating an outlet 
where you can share kind of your deepest or darkest or even most shameful, although they shouldn't necessarily be shameful, but you might be experiencing shame around them. This could be a really important outlet for people. I'm very yeah. excited to, to listen to these episodes. I can't wait until you launch. It sounds amazing. Do you have a story you could tell? I have stories I could tell. Yeah. I mean, what's the number again? I'm supposed to call um, to leave to a message. Where do I sign up? So yeah, let's get that. I, I will send Jessica my calendar link, and then you can go from there. <laughs> and and then you can change his voice so sound nobody like yeah, recognizes. Yeah, yeah. Your voice will be oh, yeah, changed. He, he wants to sound like T-Pain. <laughs> like auto-tune, you know? I'll try. I'll, I'll talk to my, uh, my editor and see if they can do that. <laughs> you know, Kermit the Frog would do as well. Yeah, it just loses its, its sex appeal when you change my voice. Okay, so what is the most exciting story that you're going to be launching on this podcast. Tell us just a little bit more detail. Um, Tease for us. Let's see. The most exciting one. Let me think. Because I've heard about six so far. Oh, the most exciting one to me was about the woman who um, pegged her bisexual lover. Um, because she said she, she didn't know he was bi at first. Um, he, but he, he used to sleep with her cousin who was male and her cousin told her, Oh, that's your, you know, your new bow or whatever, boo. And he was like, Oh, well me and him, you know, we've, <laughs> you know, we've had an, an, an entanglement before. And entanglement. Was, <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, Oh really? And she was like, yeah. Um, and so she was like, okay, well, let's see what happens. And so she kind of gradually, because she always wanted to peg someone. And she said, she, so she's like, well, I think this would be a good, you know, a good person to do it on. And so she gradually kind of like introduced the idea. He doesn't know that she knows, to this day, he doesn't know that she knows that he slept with her cousin. So he doesn't know that. Um, and she also doesn't know that she knows that he sleeps with men too. So he, he never, he never said it they never had a conversation about it she just knows but he doesn't he never told her um so like she was like one day she said you know like would you be interested in you know me you know doing pegging or you know anal play and he was like oh really you want to do that and she was like he was like all the rave of course and she was that was her first time ever pegging someone and she said it was so it felt so great. She said it was a great, she like, it was very orgasmic and it felt so like liberating to like, you know, to put penis <laughs> into a man versus the other way around. And she was like, this is my new thing. I have to keep doing this. I was like, okay, now I want to pick someone. She makes me now, the way she tells the story, it's like, really? I'm like, okay, I have to, that's on my bucket list of 2021. Ooh, 2021. I actually really, I've never pegged anyone either. And so just to clarify for people, uh, pegging usually usually refers to putting on a strap-on and putting inserting it anally in a man. And oftentimes uh, it's in the heterosexual context where a woman does it to a man. But, you know, this story brings up a few interesting issues of for discussion here. So the first, of course, is pegging and why people might like it and how to do it and various approaches. Um, and I think the way that pegging subverts 
systems of kind of gendered power, but yeah. also, um, you know, you, you certainly don't have to be a bisexual man to be into being pegging. You being right. being pegged, you right. can certainly be a straight guy, and it brings up you know issues of um, male bisexuality and how invisible stories like this are. I know we just recently um, saw the Andrew Gillum case where he talks about how he identifies as bisexual. And um, it sounds as though they also identify as being in some sort of ethically non-monogamous relationship. But we don't talk about these things. And it actually, I don't I don't know if it's the month or the week because I do get confused by different dates, but we're deal- we are celebrating bisexual awareness, as we hopefully are all the time. But this is an opportunity to really talk about the fact that bi- bisexuality isn't a phase. It isn't, you know, something that's going to pass. It's totally, totally valid and valid for people of all genders. And um, oftentimes I think bisexuality is assigned as compulsory for women and disallowed for men. So is that something you also talk about on the show or are you starting just with the stories or are you doing a debrief as well? So I am doing a debrief. So me and my, um, I have a host on the show. So how it works is they tell me the story and then we debrief after the story, me and her to talk about each story individually. So that's something we probably will bring up on the debrief um, once we ha- record that part because we haven't recorded the, the debrief segments yet. <laughs> so mm, once, once I love we rec- that. Once we record those parts, yeah, that's something that I will be bringing up. I love that. I think about people getting so much out of hearing real people's stories. Um, that's not that's something we probably don't do enough of on our podcast. When we have some people get really mad about them because <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of personalization, right? People hear a story and then they create their own narrative around why somebody did something when we don't really know why they did it. Like they can share. But um, I think this is so valuable to create an outlet for people to kind of have a peek into others' bedrooms because we all feel so, I think, alone and lost and concerned uh-huh. that we're not normal. So, so this show, um, Ho and Tell, creates this opportunity to normalize a, a broader range of experiences. I love it. Right. And then the, I, the girl, um, the lady that I um, recorded yesterday, and she was talking about, um, she related to me because I was on another podcast and I talked about how I grew up in the church and that's pretty much like my, my, my childhood. Right. So I was, it's very religious based. Um, and so for a long time, I know I didn't have sex for years cause I was doing the whole church thing. And she was like, I totally relate to when you said that on the podcast, she was like, because you know, I thought, you know, that this is what I thought my life was like, I thought, you know, well, I shouldn't be doing that and all this stuff. And she said it wasn't until she had sex and she realized like, oh, you know, that it's not that bad. <laughs> you know, she had to like, <laughs> she, 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 she had to let go of all of that. Um, the things, the church and all that stuff t- was telling us. And she said she, when she, when she had sex, um, for the first time, she didn't really have anybody to talk to because all of her friends were still kind of like, like how she used to be. And so she joined a, um, like a website or something like for swingers. Cause she was swinging and she realized like, okay, this is not, you know, this is not so abnormal. There are people who do this. I'm like, yes, there are people who do exactly what you want to do or are doing. There's somebody out there who's doing the exact same thing. And, uh, it's the line every lover wants to hear. It's not that bad. <laughs> yeah, it's not that bad. <laughs> I love the I, I love the idea though of sharing stories because I feel like it normalizes people's behaviors and thoughts and people get to I, I think to your point, Jess, 
I think people want to know what other people have done. Mm-hmm. I think they're going there's I think this is great. I'm very excited to listen to your stories <laughs> and your podcast because I feel like people want to know what goes on behind closed doors. Yeah. Well, and I I'm really I'm interested in your journey to go from the church to being a sex educator. So, I'm interested in how did that happen? And also how did you let go of the shame attached to to religion? Um, so <clears throat> I think what happened was I went to college and, you know, college is literally like a whole new world. Um, you're there without parents. And I went four hours away from my house. So I was like totally out there by myself. You know, I'm grown, really. And so college was the first place where I actually got introduced to like sex and men and dating. Um, and you learn some very valuable things <laughs> when you're 18 and you associate sex with love. And you realize, oh, this is not how this works. <laughs> Like, this is just not how this works in the real world. Um, um, that you can have sex and the person cannot still love you the next day. Um, so I went through that phase. And then after college, I was like, okay, I'm just tired of doing this. And I kind of went back to what I was. I came home and I kind of went back to my, um, my, my, my upbringing. And so I was like celibate for like three years after college. Um, and I was like, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, do do it the way I was taught because when I was in college, I was like, it didn't, I guess it just didn't reap a, a reward enough for me. I was like, okay, so this, maybe this is what they, t- cause college, my experiences with men in college, um, was probably a lot of people experience with men. People do go to college. They're, they're, they're not really trying to like, you know, wife anybody. They're trying to go to college. They're in there to have fun, you know, and some, and having fun sometimes includes sex with random people. Um, and, and I think I would have been better prepared if someone had like set me down and been like, okay, so you're going to college. This is what you should expect. <laughs> like, don't go there <laughs> expecting you're going to like, you know, be the love of your life. And, and some people do, but even with, even with the ones that I know personally who met their husbands or wives or their partners in college, it's a whole lot of bullshit that went in between college and to now. Like it's a whole lot of stuff that in between there that people don't want to talk about. Um, so I did the whole celibacy thing after college for years. Then I was like, why am I doing this? I was like, I, 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 this is not making me happy either. So let me just, at least, at least the other, I was getting some type of pleasure before. Now I'm just sitting here, you know, unhappy in all aspects of my life. And so I just kind of started back having sex and just haven't gone and haven't went back. That's pretty much how that was. When I think about young people and, you know, giving advice, not that they need my advice, okay, but... I don't think I would recommend that people just like settle down with their first or second or third partner. Now, having said that, I've been with Brandon forever, but I don't think that it's worked out because of that. I think it's worked out so well because of the effort we invest into the relationship. So whether we had met a year ago and invested this effort or, you know, we met almost 20 years ago and invested that effort. But when I look at, um, look back, I just, I see, I don't know, maybe like, I don't want to act like I'm some sort of freaking exception, okay? But with so many of my friends who did marry young, I think it felt less like a choice to them. Like they met someone, they committed, they'd invested the time. It's like, I've had this car so long. Yeah. <laughs> I might I've as invested well keep, this much. <laughs> I might as well might keep as throwing well. money at it sort of thing. Yes, and I think a lot, so, I, I call them might as well relationships. Might as well. Like people feel like, well, we, we've been dating for... Since 10 years, I mean, I might as well marry you. Oh, I have a kid, so I might as well marry you. So that's a lot of people have might as well marriages. That's true. 
I think there's this prescription, though. I think that there's this path that we've been told. I mean, not we. I I felt that there was a path that I was supposed to follow. And even though I wasn't religious, Ashley, you said, you know, that there was the association of sex and love. And and I felt the same way, or I was at least brought up in, in the same with the same sort of attitudes. Till you met me. And to, well, I also went to, <laughs> and I'm not faulting, I'm not faulting the education system, but I also went to a Catholic school, so I wonder if that had any influence on okay. my, uh, you know, how I, how I approached sex and love and whatnot. But I do think that there's this path that everyone is supposed to follow. It's like, you know, you, you meet someone, you fall in love, you have a kid, or you get married, you have a kid, you buy a house, and so on. And, and that's where the might as well comes in without actually thinking about what is it that you really want do you is this is this the path that you want to take and it's okay if it is and it's okay if it's not you know what you both put that much better than i could have i don't know i like yours though no that's no that's exactly it might as well marriage do i really want this am i really opting in or is it just the next stepping stone that i think i need to take so ashley how the hell do we break that like i saw a post on your facebook on advice to your 25 year old self to f that last guy ho longer (laughs) date all the men that want to date you quit acting taken to a man that's acting single live your life for you and nobody else so how do we get people to not fall into these might as well patterns uh, I don't know because I even, and, and I'll say this because even sometimes I struggle because I was talking to a friend just yesterday and I was saying I don't know if I want to get married like I want to get married because I want to have a wedding right I, that part I know but I don't know <laughs> if and I don't know if I want to get married because it's something that's been ingrained in me my whole life or what she's supposed to do or if I really want a marriage like I I, I like a partnership with someone, but I don't know if I really want to get married because a lot of the people who I know are married, they don't really do a good job of, you know, advocating for marriage. They're like, oh, you know, wait as long as you can. Or, you know, if I if 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 Joe die, I'll probably <laughs> never get married again. I'm like, well, dang, if, if you if he dies, you never get married again. That's not doing that's not helping me want to get married. So, so <laughs> um. I don't know. I think it's a thing you have to learn. I have to learn as you go. Honestly, I just got to the point at 35 where I'm just kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm no longer trying to live my life for other people. I do what makes me happy. Um, and it was a long journey to get here. And sometimes I still, you know, I still stumble. I still feel like, well, maybe I shouldn't do that. Uh, Because, you know, people will look at me differently or people or, you know, I'll say, well, maybe, you know, um, the reason why I'm probably not in a serious relationship long term is because maybe because I do talk about sex a lot. You know, I sometimes those thoughts do keep creep in. Then I'm like, well, no, F that because um, the right person, you know, is going to find what I do be perfectly fine with it. So I think it's just something you have to gradually get to with a lot of trial and error. I don't know. That's my that's my answer. I, I agree with you. I think that the person that you find who supports you is just going to add so much more fulfillment to your life. Yeah, you don't need someone who's 
I don't want to say intimidated because it's okay to feel intimidated, but if they're really threatened and they're not going to work through their own feelings, that sucks. Because I always get that question. We talked about this the other day, um, you know, like, oh, well, I intimidate men or, you know, because people always say, are men intimidated by you? I'm like, I don't know, because I, I don't I don't mess with men, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> But I, I say that if, if someone's intimidated by you, if someone's, first of all, it's okay to be intimidated. We all get intimidated. But if someone's really threatened by you, it's their job to work through their feelings. It's not your job to make yourself less or be more diminutive or you know be less powerful or be less successful or be less anything like you don't have to dim your light and I think you'll find someone who shines as bright and I know that sounds super freaking cheesy and I think it also rhymed (laughs) Um, I'm a poet and I didn't even know I was you you didn't just Captain Holt (laughs) you didn't want to get married when we first were talking about it it was me that wanted the the wedding and 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 I think if you wanted the dress I I wanted the dress no you wanted me in that pink dress (laughs) but I think that the roles might have been reversed initially or more so in in the in the in the sense that I was the one that wanted the more traditional path of getting married and doing those things and I don't know today that it would necessarily be as important Ashley you talked about finding a partner and just somebody that you know, whatever works, works. And I don't know that you necessarily have to do anything to find that happiness. I got to tell you, if I could go back, um, I'm not against getting married and the wedding was really fun, but it doesn't matter to me whether or not we're married. Now, I think I have to like acknowledge my privilege in that because there are benefits mm-hmm. financially to being yeah. marriage, married. Although I don't even know if we're legally married. <laughs> I don't know we if got... we're legally married or not. Because <laughs> <laughs> we got married abroad. But I, yeah, I really, really appreciate your framing, Ashley, of the might as well marriage. So b- before I let you go, uh, what advice do you have for people to have better sex lives, to open their minds, to think beyond what they think they need to do? Because you live your life for you. How did you embrace that to begin with? Um, You have to be open to, to exploring. Like you can't really be closed off. I'll tell some people like you don't really know what you what you like if you haven't really tried it. Um, like for me, for example, I didn't know I was into electro play until I went somewhere and tried it. You know, in my mom, like, mm, I don't think I want to do that. But then I actually went somewhere and, you know, and and tried something different and was like, you know what? This is pretty cool. Like, I have to do this <laughs> when I get home. And and that's, you have to do that. You have to be willing to try different things. Um, and that can help you to find out what who you are as a person and what you like and what you don't like. And have to be also okay if other people are not into that, like, okay, well, that's fine. But I'm into it. And that's perfectly okay. Well, I wonder if, um, you know, hooking up from a really young age and getting into a relationship encourages you because our model of relationships is that a couple operates as a unit. And I wonder if you get into that relationship really early, if that closes you to some of these experiences, because you have to get two people on board, right? right? I'm not into it, therefore therefore we're not into it. Like I've heard that with my friends where they say like, oh, we don't really like Thai food or we don't really like those type of movies. I'm like, well, do you we really not? Or is it one of you has decided? I'm not saying that it's not possible that two right. people don't like Thai food, but I, I do think that when you start to operate really as a- the food thing here. <laughs> yeah, I, when you operate as a unit, um, I wonder if-, if 
if you stay single for longer, if it encourages you to know know what you like more or be more open to asserting that. So, and I'm not suggesting you can't have you know a happy relationship when you meet young. Obviously, I feel like we have one, um, and I and I also think we have a great degree of independence. But and I'm, and I'm also not suggesting that everyone needs this degree of independence. Everybody's different. But I appreciate that the open mindedness, um, being willing to try things that you may not like. And and as I think of your might as well marriage. I think about just questions that people might want to contemplate in relationships rather than just feeling in love, really thinking about the the expanse of what forever means. But um, I'm really excited for your podcast, really excited to have a listen, ho and tell. It's going to be on all podcast platforms. Yes. Highly encourage people to ensure they're following Sex with Ashley. And uh, yeah, we're going to chat soon. And I, I can't wait to tune into the podcast and maybe uh, maybe I'll have a listen and do some commentary too if you, if you give me permission. <laughs> yeah, com- yeah, come on. That'd be great to have you do a commentary. I will, well, first of all, I got to just... Dis- <laughs> I got to disguise my voice and tell my stories too. <laughs> yeah, you do really. I will send you the link. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. And we'll share it. Thank you so much again for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Hmm, I love Ashley's work. I'm excited for this podcast. And I've been thinking just in the last few moments about might as well relationships and how you avoid these might as well relationships. And I mean, ultimately it comes down to actually reflecting upon what you want, right? Instead of just following in the path that your parents expect you to or your religion expects you to or even like self-imposed stuff. And I'm, I was thinking about this uh, questionnaire that I give to couples on relational desires and values. And it sort of comes from our book, The Ultimate Guide to Seduction and Foreplay. Check it out wherever books are sold. <laughs> I shouldn't say our book. It's not your book. It's me and Marla who wrote it. Marla and I wrote it. Um, but it's sort of adapted from that that book because that book is really full of different exercises and prompts and the relational desires and values exercise um, involves a series of questions and I don't have them in front of me but I remember some of them so beginning with just you know before you commit or at any point in time I think it's worth contemplating why do you want to be in this relationship like what do you want to get out of this relationship what do you want your partner or partners to get out of the relationship? Um, What is your definition of a fulfilling relationship? What does it look like? Uh, In earlier podcasts, Amira and uh, Jeannie talked about the fact that they wrote down everything they wanted in a partner. And I think also it might be useful to write down what we want from a relationship. And we're, we're obviously a big part of that, maybe a bigger part than our partner. And so what do you, I'm trying to remember all the questions, what do you consider the most important components of the relationship from a practical perspective. Um, So that could be like time and how you interact and, you know, shared values, et cetera, or having kids or money or any of the things that you need to discuss. And what do you consider to be the most important components of a relationship from an emotional perspective, right? Because we talk about emotional literacy, but there's no universal definition of that. Like there's not one way you engage with your emotions or one way you communicate your emotional needs or your feelings. Um, and I think that I've noticed that cross-culturally it can be very different. And Westerners, we tend to kind of use this more clinical model of always say what you feel and speak your truth. And that's not that there's not value in that, but there's also times where, you know, you need to shut up and you can't tell everybody everything you think. 
um, and you have to weigh the consequences. And again, I'm not suggesting you stifle emotional expression, but there isn't only one way to do it. And then, of course, what do you consider to be the most important sexual components of a relationship? So I don't know how many questions I've listed here, but I'll, I'll post them in the show notes as well if people want to print it off and have these conversations with themselves or you know considerations with themselves and then have conversations with their partners. But I do think we'd find ourselves in fewer might as well situations if we stopped and reflected upon these deeper layers of a relationship, not just I'm in love, I'm attracted to you, this is fun, you'd make a great life partner on paper, but really like what are the practical, what are the emotional, what are the sexual, even what are the spiritual for many people components of a relationship. But I also think that we we aren't encouraged to do that. Like I didn't grow up where I was encouraged to reflect on what it was that I wanted out of my life and a life partner. And I think it could be really fun, though, to look back at how your answers change over time, too. Like what I want today versus what I wanted 10 years ago uh, in comparison to what I want in 10 years from now. Mm -hmm. Um, But having those questions. And also, I think when you first get into a relationship, the idea of sitting down with your partner and having a really deep conversation is not what most people want to do. But I think when you really realize that this could be something that you do want to spend your life with, if that's what you choose, that flushing out some of these topics before you jump in is only going to make the relationship better over the long haul. Absolutely. And also, it's never too late. In fact, I think it'd be interesting to sit down, uh, you and me, and do this uh, recorded and have this conversation. Well, I remember us answering the 36 questions uh, over the course of, you know, a, a couple of dinners on multiple occasions over the last 10 years. He's and talking about the 36 questions from Aaron and Aaron, and it ran in the headline in the New York Times a few years ago, 36 questions to fall in love with anyone, but they're ultimately questions that are intended to generate interpersonal closeness. Thank you for, for clarifying <laughs> that. No, 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 I appreciate it. But I also r- remember how my answers, although similar in, in nature or perhaps principles, the they were different. And they changed. Mm-hmm. And it was a really interesting conversation that we had. I remember it being in New York City and having this this chat over two dinners. Really? Because I remember it in Miami. Okay. <laughs> then maybe maybe I don't remember it as well as no, I thought. Or maybe I don't. I remember being at really... Nobu. That's why I remember. Me too. We at Nobu. I swear was we were it? at Nobu, Miami. Okay. I thought it was New York. Now we just but... sound like snotty people who yeah. are like, was I in was Miami or was I in New York? Yeah. It, it was at it was at a Denny's. <laughs> In Woodstock, Ontario. It was a Denny's. Yeah, no, I I actually thought we were down south, but I totally could be wrong. The point is we had the conversation. It was great. And and ate fish. Yes. (laughs) And those two things make me happy. And hopefully it wasn't a Denny's if we had sushi. If we had raw fish, hopefully it was not a Denny's. That's true. But I do like, I would like some eggs. I do like eggs and pancakes. Always go to food. Yeah. You know, it's on my mind. Anyhow, um, yeah, I'll share these relational desire and value questions in the show notes. Hope you folks uh, have a listen to Ashley's new podcast and wherever you're at, have a great week. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life.